You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, please visit Stonegate.Church. Okay, well, if you've been here, you know that we have been working through this letter, 1 Corinthians, together over the last few months, and we have arrived at chapter 12. Uh, I love this chapter. It's introducing sort of a new section in the book. Chapters 12, 13, and 14 really go together in a lot of ways. And uh, listen, listen to how this section opens. This is the introduction to chapter 12, 13, and 14, these three chapters together. You see it in verse one there. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. There's your introduction. This is sort of the theme that we're going to be thinking about together as we work through the next three chapters in this letter. Now think about what Paul is doing throughout 1 Corinthians. He's in a lot of ways just addressing uh, them in their issues, and he's addressing the questions that they're asking him. That's what's happening throughout this letter. He's addressing them in the issues they have, and then he's taking their questions and addressing uh, those questions. And in this part of the letter, uh, 12, 13, and 14, Paul is dealing with what is happening when we gather together as a church family. Uh, The gathered church is, in a lot of ways, the unifying theme of these three chapters. Paul is pastoring them through uh, their dysfunctions. He's doing that throughout the whole letter, and he's doing that in this section of the letter. In particular, he is pastoring them through their dysfunctions around the issues of spiritual gifts. Now, as we're going to see today, spiritual gifts are a beautiful part of the church. Just amazing how God works through the gifts that he bestows upon a church. But sadly, in the church in Corinth, they were breaking that church. What is beautiful was was actually breaking them. It had become a point of division, spiritual gifts. Those beautiful gifts that God gives were dividing this church. For some in Corinth, Spiritual gifts, in particular the, the, uh, the more showy ones, uh, like speaking in tongues, uh, they were being used in selfish ways, in, in sort of showy type ways. And the church was just putting too much importance on them. They were, these gifts were just over-torqued, over-emphasized in the life of the church, all the way to the point that they had become disruptive in the life of the church. Uh, When the church would gather, these gifts were actually now counterproductive uh, to the gathering when the church would would come together and hear the word of God taught. So what Paul is doing in chapters 12, 13, and 14 is he is writing these chapters to encourage and correct the church concerning spiritual gifts. He doesn't want the church to be uninformed. He wants them to be equipped and helped in this area. And I think in a lot of ways, 1 Corinthians 12, this chapter that we're going to think through today, is one of the most practical and helpful chapters in the New Testament for the church. For us, this is such a practical and helpful chapter. So I want you to see five truths out of this text. Five truths from 1 Corinthians 12. Here's the first. That God gives gifts. First thing I want you to see, this is the type of God that we have. God gives gifts. You have never met a being more generous than God. That's never happened. You've never bumped into a person that is more generous than God is. God is a gift giver. Now, that word gift that's going to show up repeatedly in this chapter comes from the root word, Charis, which means grace. And those two words are closely tied together, grace and gift. You could think about each of these gifts as grace. They're grace gifts. Those two words are tied. And that word gift is going to show up 17 times in the New Testament. 
And the Bible is clear to show us that the primary gift of grace is Jesus, right? This is Romans chapter 6, verse 23. This is how Paul says it there. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There it is. Right? There is the primary gift that God would send his beloved son Jesus to a bloody cross. And there, Jesus would receive the wages of our sin. He received the death that our sin deserved. I was just thinking last night, could, could I give my son for you? Could I give his life for your life? He, he dies so that you live. And I, just to be, I don't, I couldn't do that. But, but God has done what I couldn't do, what we couldn't do. God has given in an act of, of unbelievable grace, a, a gift. He has given his beloved son, Jesus. And it's this gift of Jesus that allows us to live with God forever, to, to be reconciled to God, to come back into the family of God. It's this gift that does that. So in this way, Jesus is the ultimate grace gift. And from that gift of grace, Jesus flows every other gift from God, including spiritual gifts. Now, what are spiritual gifts? Let me just give you a working definition of spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are God-given abilities that enable us to do for others what we could not do on our own. Just a simple definition of spiritual gifts. Uh, they are God-given abilities that enable us to do for others what we could not do on our own. Let me just take that in a few parts. Spiritual gifts are God-given. You don't kind of create these gifts. Uh, they are given to us by God as a gift. This is verses four, five, and six. L look at how the scriptures say it here. It says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Now, I love this passage because it points us to the triune nature of God. What we're, what we're seeing here in, in this chapter, and in particular this text, is all of God giving us all of these gifts. So again, look at verses 4, 5, and 6. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity. And when we put our faith in Jesus, in that moment, he comes into our heart and makes a home there. It's the Holy Spirit giving these gifts. Then you get to verse five. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. That is New Testament speak for Jesus. Uh, Lord, he, he is our Lord. You've got Jesus giving us these gifts. Then you get to verse six. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God. That's common New Testament speak for God the Father. So, so you have in this text, all of God in all of his triune glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, pouring out gifts of grace upon his church. That's what we have in this text. They are given by God. The spiritual gifts are God-given. To go on there, they are God-given abilities, you might underline that word, abilities. They're God-given abilities. Again, verse six, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. So spiritual gifts are, are empowered. 
They're capacities given by God, empowered by God. So your spiritual gifts can work in alignment with your natural sort of giftings and wirings. That that can happen. And in some ways, uh, when the Holy Spirit comes and makes a home in you, the Holy Spirit supercharges those natural giftings and wirings. So you you could just imagine a person maybe with the gift of service. And before they met Jesus, they, they could see that gift sort of showing up in their life. But when they meet Jesus and the Holy Spirit now takes up residence within them, the Holy Spirit then empowers, supercharges that gift to accomplish things there's no way they could do on their own. To accomplish more good in the lives of people, to do more good for more people. So sometimes the Holy Spirit works in conjunction with our natural uh, giftings and wirings. But other times spiritual gifts create totally new abilities in our life. So sometimes kind of the natural kind of wirings that God has already given us are supercharged. Other times, just totally new things show up in our life. No one naturally speaks in tongues. No no one naturally does that. That that is speaking in a language that you do not understand. No one naturally does that. That's not a supercharged natural ability. That's the creation of a totally new ability. So spiritual gifts are God-given abilities empowerments, the God-given abilities that enable us to do for others what we could not do on our own. I want you just to look at that for others, to do for others. God's gifted his people to bless the world, the the nations, those in your neighborhood. God's given you gifts, the church gifts, to do all of that blessing to everyone. But in this text, The gifts are primarily meant to bless and build the bride of Christ, the church. These gifts are primarily meant to to help the church flourish, to strengthen the church. That's the primary reason God has gifted his church spiritual gifts. So that they would build and bless the body of Christ. Spiritual gifts are for others. You see that in verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That that is the purpose of spiritual gifts, for the common good. God gives gifts for the good of his church, to bless his church, to build up his church, to strengthen his bride, the church. Okay, now let's take a step back from gifts. Uh, When you look at spiritual gifts in the New Testament, there are four or five, six lists that show up throughout the New Testament that give us about 20 gifts. So in those lists of gifts that we have in the New Testament, there's about 20 gifts that show up on those lists. Uh, Now, when I look at those lists, it's, it's good to know that not every gift shows up in every list. So uh, you can take the list in 1 Corinthians 12 and you can look at the one in Romans and there's some here that aren't there and there's some over here that aren't over here. So I take that to mean that the Bible is not trying to be exhaustive in naming every single spiritual gift that a person could have. I take the 20 spiritual gifts that are named in the scriptures as, uh, think of it as like a sample of the spiritual gifts menu. It's not the whole menu. It's just a sample of the menu. So it's sort of whetting our appetites for the many ways that God gifts his people, for the many gifts that God bestows upon his church. And here's what I want to do for the next couple of minutes. I just want to run through the 20 that are mentioned in the Bible. And I want to give you just a simple definition of each just so we can kind of get a sense of, oh, God, God gives these types of gifts to the church? God gives this generously? So let me just run through this list. Number one is the gift of prophecy. It's the ability to share something that God brings to mind, the gift of prophecy. The gift of service. 
It's the ability to see and step into practical needs. People who have the gift of service see needs and step into needs that other people just don't see and step into. You've got the the gift of teaching. It's the ability to explain and apply God's word. So people with the gift of teaching help others understand the Bible. And by the way, the, the gift of teaching is not primarily happening from a stage in front of a bunch of people doing a monologue thing. It most often, 99% of the gift of teaching is happening in a church in small settings. It's happening over coffee and the scriptures as you're helping someone understand the the Bible. That's the gift of teaching. The gift of exhortation. It's the ability to strengthen others through encouragement. So people gifted in this way just refresh us. They strengthen us. Uh, They admonish us. They, They use words in the way that words were meant to be used for the purpose that words were meant to be used for, to build others up. That's the gift of exhortation. The gift of giving, it's the ability to give time, talents, and treasure joyfully and sacrificially. And people with the gift of generosity typically have the gift of making money, and then their heart springs toward the needs of people as they give generously to meet those needs. It's the gift of giving. There's the gift of leadership. It's the ability to see what God has next and then to lead people to it. There's the gift of mercy. It's the ability to feel deep compassion for the hurting and marginalized. There's the gift of words of knowledge. That's the ability to seek, acquire, synthesize, and make effective use of information for the benefit of others. Think of a person who loves to study the Bible so much so that they've acquired all this information, they can condense it down, distill it down into a commentary for a person like us to read so that we can understand the scriptures better. That's a person with the gift of knowledge. Uh, you got the gift of, of words of wisdom. It's the ability to help others live well in God's world. Uh, people with this gift can speak God's will into specific situations in human lives. And they can speak into those situations in the right way, with the right words, at the right times to be most helpful for people. That's the gift of words of wisdom. Uh, you've got the gift of faith. It's a supernatural confidence in God, the gift of faith. That's 10. Now we've got 10 more. You ready? So it's the gift of healing. It's the ability to, re- to restore physical, mental, and emotional health. Uh, listen, God is sovereign and God is the healer. But God's power works through people, right? That's the gift of healing. Uh, You've got the gift of miracle. It's a heightened sensitivity to and a resilient expectation of the power of God. You've got the gift of tongues. It's the ability to speak a language that you do not understand. Interpretation of tongues. It's the ability to share the meaning of that unknown language just spoken. You've got the gift of distinguishing between spirits. It's the ability to discern what's from God and what's from Satan. Truth from error. You've got the gift of apostleship. The office of apostle is gone, right? To be an apostle, you had to be an eyewitness to Jesus. Uh, those guys are all dead, right? So, so the, the office is gone, but the gifting remains. It's the gift of missional boldness. Uh, think church planters, those with this entrepreneurial type empowerment to bring new things to life. That's the gift of apostleship. You've got the gift of shepherding. It's the ability to care for the soul of another human being. In a church family, they are the sort of spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers that are running around and, and ministering to a church. You've got the gift of helps. It's the ability to aid and assist others. Behind every great achievement is an army of people who have the gift of helps. You've got the gift of administration. It's the ability to organize for the sake of ministry and mission. So where leadership giftings have a sense of like, oh, this is where God wants us to go. 
administrative giftings uh, help us all get there safely. Chart a course that kind of gets us there in a, in a good way. Uh, you've got the gift of evangelism, number 20 here, the gift of evangelism. It's the ability to introduce people to the risen Jesus, the gift of evangelism. Now, can we just stop and marvel at this for a moment? I think this is amazing. Our God gives gifts. He has poured out these gifts upon his church. Like all of those gifts, he has poured out in the church. Like our church, he has poured out all of those gifts. All of those gifts are operating and working and doing their thing in this body to, to build up and bless the bride. Isn't that amazing to think about that? Uh, in 1 Corinthians 1.7, Paul looks at this dysfunctional, messy church, and he looked at the church and says in Corinth, you are not lacking in any spiritual gift. And Stogate, that, that is how I feel when I look at us. I look at Stogate, and I'm like, we are not lacking in any spiritual gift. God has poured out his grace. He has poured out his gifts among us, in you, in us collectively, in just such amazing ways. This is our God. Uh, Christianity really is a team sport. And, and Jesus has gifted the church with people for every single position on the field. Th that's our God. He, he gives that generously to his church. It's just amazing to see that, that God is that generous, that he gives gifts like this. So that's the first thing I want you to see, that God gives gifts. Here's the second thing I want you to see, that God has gifted you. You. Look at verse 7. You might underline these first two words of verse seven. To each, to each is given the manifestation of the spirit, a spiritual gift. To each is given a manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Here is one of the things I fear about this text this morning. It's possible for you to hear me say and even believe that, yeah, yes, God gives gifts. It's possible for you to hear that and believe that. And for you to even celebrate the, the multitude of giftings that God has given to our church family. So it's possible to see and celebrate and believe these things. It's possible to do all of that and for you to look in the mirror and say, but I don't have any of those gifts. And I ain't gifted in any of those ways. But God sort of skipped over me as he gave the gifts. I, I just don't see any of these gifts. And if that's you, I want you to look at me. I want you to hear me say this to you. It is not just that God has gifted us. It's not just that we have been the recipient of God's gifts. Friend, you have been the recipient of God's gift. You have. If you're in Christ, you have been given gifts. Every single follower of Jesus has one or more spiritual gifts. Every single one of us. It's not just that God gifts. It's if you're in Christ, God has gifted you. There is no such thing in the New Testament as a giftless Christian. That doesn't exist in the Bible. If you're a Christian, you have been gifted by God. Laura and I were just thinking about and thanking God for our church family and the many gifts that God has given to our church family. If you have met David Wyand, if you've met David, you have met a person with the gift of exhortation. I just can't help but when I have a conversation with David to leave encouraged, refreshed. He, he just does that to people. It's just how God has gifted him. If you have met Dave Hansen, you have met a person with the gift of faith. I've told Dave 
uh, over and over, you know, over the years, when we have been in the middle of making a scary move as a church family, a big move as a church family, I'm like, Dave, I'm going to need to borrow a little bit of that faith that you have over there. Can you loan a little bit of that to me? I'm going to need to borrow some of that. He, he's just got the gift of faith. Uh, take uh, Ryan Kearns. If you've bumped into Ryan Kearns, you've bumped into a man with the gift of leadership. If you bumped into Andy Valderis, uh, Andy has the gift of evangelism. It's not uncommon for Andy to call me and he'll report the last story of him having a conversation with the person who doesn't know Jesus and he's sharing Jesus with the guy and the guy's meeting Jesus. It's just, that's such a normal occurrence in his life. If you have met Bill Stewart, you've met a person with the gift of helps. Bill was on our setup team for nine straight years, every Sunday. I've told Bill repeatedly, churches don't get planted apart from Bill Stewart's. You are like church planting gold, Bill. Just amazing gifting. Uh, Guy Minix, he's got the gift of shepherding. And Nanette Mills, the gift of shepherding. Just a spiritual mom to so many of our ladies around here. Sam Melendez, if you know Sam, uh, he's got the gift of mercy. He's got a ministry where every Friday morning he goes to downtown Dallas and serves the homeless. Just an amazing thing he's got going there. If you've met Lindsay Schott, you know a person with the gift of teaching. Just an uncanny ability to open up the scriptures and to explain it and apply it to people. God has gifted our church family in so many unique ways, and he has gifted you. I wish we had time to look at your life to talk about your particular giftings from God. Now, if you're sitting here and you're like, I, I don't know how I'm gifted, though. I'm not sure. Let me just give you this encouragement in finding your gifts. Uh, two things. One is to jump in. To jump in is just a way of saying, serve somewhere. Because here's what happens. When you start serving in a group of people, uh, you start meeting needs in a group of people, uh, here's what happens. Your gifts end up finding you. That, that's how it works. You just begin to notice, oh, I, I move into these needs and these problems and these issues like this. This is how I show up. This is what shows up with me when I show up. So jump in, start serving somewhere. That, that would be step one. If you want to find your gifting, start serving and your giftings are going to find you. Second thing I'd say is not just jump in, but also let others speak in. So jump in and then let others speak in. Self-assessment is the most inaccurate form of assessment. We all agree? Self-assessment is the most inaccurate form of assessment. So here is the, uh, the worst way to go about finding your spiritual gifts. For you to get all alone by yourself with a spiritual gifts test. And then for you to start filling out that spiritual gifts test so that you can have all the spiritual gifts that you really want in your life, right? The <laughs> best way for you to do it is to jump in, then let others speak in. Uh, to let others affirm and call out, oh, th th these are the gifts that I see showing up in your life. You're, you're serving, you're doing the thing. And like, these gifts have a way of working to serve and to help and to benefit and to do good for other people. Uh, let others speak into that. Um, our elders, uh, we had a meeting here a couple of weeks ago and we just did this. We just read through these gifts and then we just all took a moment to, to verbalize, oh, this is how we see gifting showing up in your life. H how we see the empowerment of God in your life to serve and to bless people. It's such a good thing to do. I'd recommend that this week to get with a group of friends and just do that exercise. Read through these gifts and then just think about how, how do we see the empowerment, the, the, the act, God acting in your life to serve and bless and build other people. So jump in, then let others speak in. Third thing I want you to see in this text, and this is really a warning. The next two are warnings. Number three, do not despise your gifts. 
Do not despise your gifts. Uh, In verse 12, Paul leans into an illustration. He uses the body as a metaphor for the church. So look at verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Okay, so here's what he's doing here. He's taking the human body. The human body is an amazing thing. You've got over 200 bones that make up your body. You've got 78 organs that make up your body. You've got a lot of parts to you, right? So, but Paul's saying we have one whole body, but that one whole body has many parts. And Paul is saying that's the church. One body, but that body is made up of many, many parts. And he starts by emphasizing the whole or the unity or the oneness of the body. So he says in verse 13, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So he's just emphasizing the, the oneness. And then he emphasizes the diversity. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many members. A lot of parts make up the body. And now watch what Paul does next with the metaphor. Look at verse 15. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. The whole body, if the whole body were an eye, where would, this, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? Okay, here's what Paul's doing there. Paul is addressing those in the church who despise their gifts. He's addressing those in the church that they have been gifted this way, but they want to be gifted that way. That's what he's addressing. He's addressing the foot who says, because I'm not a hand, I am out. This is no longer working for me. You're either going to make me a hand or it's over. That's what he's addressing, people who are despising their gifting. And here's one way we often despise our gifting. We despise our gifts by comparing our gifts to the gifts of others. Comparison. And at the root of comparison is really an issue of trust. Can we trust the God who has given us what we have? Look at verse 18. This is why Paul says in verse 18, But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. God arranged as he chose. Friend, if you are in Christ, here's what that means. God has chosen you and God has chosen your gifts. God has chosen you and God has chosen your gifts. And can you just hear this this morning? You can trust the wisdom of God. You can trust him. You can trust his wisdom in giving you the gifts he wants you to have. And it's, it's not until you trust God that this is going to be solved in you, that you're going to stop despising your gifts. And this has broader application, right? It's trusting God in these ways. Until you trust God with your body, you'll always be envious of someone you think looks better than you. Until you trust God with your money and possessions, you'll always be envious of those who, who have more than you. And until you trust God with your gifts, you'll always envy those gifted in the ways that you want. But you can trust God in his wisdom. Don't despise your gifts. So Paul goes on in verse 19 to ask a rhetorical question. If all were a single member, where would the body be? Like if we were all eyes, what, what, what would we be? We would be deformed, wouldn't we? 
It would not be good for us as a body. God has wisely arranged each gift in our church so that we're not all eyes. We're not all ears. We're not all hands. We're not all feet, but we are one whole body. That's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing. So let me just ask you this by way of application on this point. When is the last time you have looked at your spiritual giftings, the way God has gifted you, and then thanked God for your giftings? Just out of a, out of a heart full of gratitude, looked at God and just said, God, thank you for making me like this. Thank you for empowering me like this. Thank you for gifting me like this. If you haven't done that with the Lord lately, I would just encourage you to do that. It's a way to cultivate gratitude for the gifting that God has given you. God, thank you for that. You didn't have to do that, but, but you did. Do not despise your gifts. Number four, the second warning, is do not despise the gifts of others. Do not despise the gifts of others. So don't despise your gifting. That's one way a church can be dysfunctional and division can, can begin in a church. But there's another way that division and dysfunction can happen. It's when we start to, to despise the gifts of other people in the church. So Paul goes on in verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, hand. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you, feet. It can't do that. We need every single part of the body. Again, Christianity is a team sport. So let me just use football to uh, make the analogy for a team sport. Uh, the quarterback is the most prestigious person on the field, right? That, that's football. That, that position is very, very important. So when the Cowboys uh, finish a game, it's just after their latest loss, right? So the Cowboys finish their game. And uh, here's what you have never seen happen uh, when, the, you know, the time runs out, it's all zeros. You've never seen this moment. Uh, the reporter runs out onto the field to do this interview with the left guard. You, you've not, you've not seen that moment. That, that doesn't happen. That's not who the reporter does an interview with. It, it just doesn't work that way. But every quarterback knows if you're missing a left guard, it doesn't matter how good you are as a quarterback. Right? <laughs> Linemen aren't famous there's little fanfare for alignment, but without them, no team wins. They're, they're indispensable to the team. Or maybe imagine it this way. Imagine a quarterback uh, showing up to the game by himself. And, and you look at the quarterback and you're like, hey, where, where's your team? And he looks at you and he's like, I, I am the team. I snap it to myself. I hand the ball off to myself. I throw it to myself. I'm like a one-man wrecking crew on defense. I am the team. And you would look at him and say, no, you are the idiot. That's what you are. Because you need more than you if you're going to win. And Stonegate, the only way team church wins, the only way, is for every member to value every gift. Do not despise the gifts of others, to value every gift. So he goes on in verse 22, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker, right? They're behind the scenes. No one sees them. They seem to be weaker, are indispensable. They are indispensable. You do not win without the linemen. We do not win without every gift being valued. They're indispensable. Verse 23, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. Friends, if you have gifts that are more behind the scenes that no one sees, I want to look at you and just remind you of this. God sees them. He takes note of them. 
Every time you pour your gifts out for the good of other people, God sees that and will reward that. God sees those. He's gonna, he's gonna heap so much honor on those gifts. He goes on, and our presentable parts are treated with greater modesty. Verse 24, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. That's just Paul saying, church, every gift matters. Every single gift matters. Do not despise the gifts of others. Now, let me just uh, link these two things together for you. See, part of what it means for a person to be spiritual, spiritually gifted, gifted in this area, is that they are lacking gifting in another area. Do you see how that works? So to, to say you're gifted here by God means that by nature you're not gifted there by God. Right? That, that's how spiritual gifts work. The, the idea of gifting means there's also a lack of gifting. So everyone has something, but no one has everything. That means that we are all going to be great, empowered by the Holy Spirit in some areas and absolute train wrecks in other areas. Okay, that's, that's how giftings work. We've got them in some places and not in every place. No one has it all or you'd be Jesus, right? Only Jesus had them all. So now this introduces though the problem for us. And this is what I want us all to be very attentive to and aware of. Here's the problem. We tend to look at others through the lens of our gifting, which means we very quickly begin to look down at other people in their lack of gifting. See, when you see people through the lens of your gifting, it becomes the standard. And when people don't match your gifting, you begin to look down at them in their lack. That is a problem in churches. Right, it's one way our giftings create division. So if you have the gift of faith, here's what you're prone to think. Everybody is a coward. Everybody's afraid of everything, right? If you have the gift of faith, you're prone to think that way. If you have the gift of generosity, you're prone to think everyone else is just stingy and greedy, man. What is wrong with them? If you have the gift of mercy, you're prone to think no one else cares about the poor. Obviously, no one else is reading their Bible and seeing how much Jesus cares about the poor. You're prone to think that way. If you have the gift of evangelism, you're prone to think like this. No one else in my church cares that people are dying and going to hell. No one does. Nobody cares about this, right? You're prone. See what's happening? You're looking at the world through the lens of your gifting, and then you quickly begin to look down at the lack of gifting in other people. Again, this is one way that, that giftings create division. And if you've been married for more than about two minutes, you know how this works, right? So we often get married thinking, you know what's going to happen? This person is going to complete me. Then we start living with that person, right? And uh, see, when you're dating, you're brushing into their giftings, really the beauty of them. But when you get married and you live with them, you're, br you're brushing into everything, right? You're, you're brushing into their giftings and in their lack of giftings. You're seeing all of that. And one of the key moments for a marriage is when a husband or a wife can look at their spouse and say, I know now how you're gifted and, and where you lack gifting. I know both. And I love the way God has made you. I love how God has gifted you. When I look at you, I see such a beautiful, amazing creation. That's a key moment. If a marriage doesn't get there, a marriage won't last. 
It's a key moment in the life of every marriage. And it's a key moment in the life of a church for us collectively to be able to look out across our church family and say, I see how you're gifted and how you lack in gifting. And I love the way that God has made you in your gifting, how he's gifted you, empowered you in these ways. I so want to learn from you in these things. I so appreciate that about you. Don't we all want to be a part of a marriage like that and a church like that? We all want that, right? We all want to be a part of a church that appreciates how God has gifted us rather than despising us for how he hasn't, right? Do not despise the gift of others. And then lastly, and we'll finish here, use your gifts for God. Use your gifts. That's really where this chapter is leading us, is to say that. Use your gifts for God. Why did God gift you? That gifting is first for God. Before it's for you, it's for God. That gifting is for God. And here's what God wants you to do with your gifting. He wants you to give those gifts to others. Spiritual gifts are meant to be poured out into the lives of other people, into your church, to bless and build the bride. That is why God has gifted you. Again, verse seven, to each is given the manifestation of the spirit. Why? For the common good, so that you can do good to the bride of Christ. Build and bless the bride of Christ. And, and here's, how, here's how you use your gifts. Serve. You jump in and you serve. That's how you use your gifts. That's what serving is. It's you using your gifts to the glory of God and the good of his church. Jump in, serve. There, there are all kinds, dozens of opportunities around here. There is our connection team, our groups team, our care team, kids men, student ministry, facilities, prayer team, foster and adopter. There's just dozens and dozens. There is room for your gifting, for your gifting. And I'm encouraging you in this way, not just so that our church will flourish, but so that you will flourish. Surveys uh, are consistent in showing that those who serve are the ones who feel two things. One, that I'm most connected to my church. Secondly, that I'm most growing in my faith. Those who are using your giftings are the most apt to say that, serving. I'm connected to this church family and I'm growing in Jesus. Those who are serving. So, so jump in, serve. Our lack of serving is one of the reasons why I think so many of us are bored in our walk with the Lord. Friend, God has designed you to be out on the field playing, using your gifts for the glory of God. He has not designed you to get up in the bleachers and watch other people out there on the field playing with Jesus. And here's part of our problem. Somewhere along the way, many of us have come off the field and we have walked up into the stands and we're just watching other people engaged in the game. And Jesus is saying, no, I didn't make you to watch. I made you to come and jump in with me. Like time is short. It's in the fourth quarter. There's just a couple of minutes left, right? In all of our lives. Our life is a vapor. And God is saying, no, I, I designed you to be in. I've got place for you to run with your giftings. You matter out here on the field. So church, can we just make this commitment together to all get in the game? Amen. For all of us to get out of the stands, onto the field, and in the game. Why don't you pray with me? Let me give you just a moment to allow the Spirit of God to press into you what would be most helpful. How would Jesus have you respond today?
Maybe for some, it's by receiving the best gift, Jesus himself. There's never been a moment where you've turned from your sin and thrown your life upon Jesus. This is your moment. You can call out to God right now. God, I'm trusting Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Save me. And God would do that rescuing work right now in your heart. Call out to him. For others of us, today is about you jumping in using your gifts for the glory of God and the good of your church. How are you gifted? Are you in the bleachers? Are you down there on the field? And God, we pray that today by the power of your spirit that you'd get us on the field. Oh God, would you do it? God, would you help every single one of us to use our gifting for the blessing and the building up of your church. And it's in the great name of Jesus that we ask it. Amen.